is Yemen News. I'm Alex Williams. Today we have the pleasure of having Furaya Demag with us. She's a journalist and a human rights activist living in Yemen. She represented the independent women at the National Dialogue Conference that followed Yemen's revolution when former President Ali Abdullah Saleh ceded power to his vice president in 2012. And she was also the coordinator for the International Federation of Reporters in Yemen. She has worked as a reporter and editor for many media outlets, including the Sabah News Agency, many news websites, and local newspapers. Currently, she works as the editor-in-chief of Yemen Future website. We have the pleasure of having Suraya Demaj with us. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Um, maybe you can start off by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit yeah, uh, yeah. Just let us know how you first began uh, to be a reporter in, in a country like Yemen. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, I would like to introduce myself. Uh, I'm Freya Demaj, uh, a journalist and a human rights activist. Uh, I was a member in the National Dialogue Conference. Uh, I represented the independent women. Uh, I was also the coordinator of the International Federation of Journalists in Yemen. Uh, I worked also as a reporter and editor for many media mass like the News Agency, uh, received 24 web, uh, 22 websites and many local newspapers as, uh, and, uh, as a human rights activist, I headed many uh, NGOs uh, that work in supporting the women in different fields. Uh, actually, uh, my first job was editor in the English desk at uh, the Yemeni official news uh, agency, Sabah, the place uh, which opened to me uh, many horizons to work as a reporter for many media foundations. Well, that's great. How, did, how was it, you know, working as a reporter, but also being a woman? Like, what kind of challenges did that bring in the beginning? Yeah, uh, actually, uh, uh, absolutely. It's uh, very difficult to be a journalist in a country like Yemen, especially as a woman. Uh, many challenges we face uh, during our work because, uh, firstly, the customs and traditions and the restrictions imposed by the authorities against the freedom of opinion and expressions. Uh, there is a positive thing to be a journalist in Yemen as well. Uh, Yemen is a breeding ground for events. so. The reporter can find a lot of topics to write, uh, as well as Yemen uh, provides an opportunity for the journalists uh, to make a change inside in the community. Therefore, the journalist feels satisfied that he, uh, that he or she has made a difference in his society. Mm. Uh, so you, you talk about 44 uh, journalists were killed? Yeah, I mean, I understand... Um... You know, just first responding by what you're saying, I agree, you know, as a journalist, you can make a difference in the country. But we yes. understood from the Media Freedom Observatory that 44 Yemenis had been killed in Yemen since 2014. Uh, what can you say about that? Yeah, I have to correct this information here. The 44 journalists had been killed during the war period since uh, 2014 till now. The, the, they, they were killed because they were on the for, uh, front lines of the battles. They were killed during their coverage for the conflict and war actions. Uh, some of them by snipers, others by airstrikes, and others by shelling. That's, that's terrible. Did you know any of these people? Yeah, I, I, almost, I, uh, almost, I know most of them. Wow, that's, that's really sad and tragic. 
Were you were you aware of uh, how dangerous it would be to work as a reporter in Yemen when you chose to pursue this career? Yeah. Yes, I was aware that the profession that I chose uh, would be difficult, especially in a country like Yemen. But at that time, I didn't expect that it would be among the worst regions for journalists in the world. Mm. But yeah. uh, but I, mean, I can imagine, you know, as a truly objective reporter, you probably have made some enemies around the line, you know, or at least most of the parties with some power and influence in the country. How do you maintain your objectivity? Yes. Um, actually, uh, I'm working according to, according to an ethical list that includes uh, naturality and objectivity. But I think it's very difficult to maintain objectivity, especially when you are a part of the political process. I can say that I maintain balance in my work and telling the truth as it from all sides. However, I have enemies on all sides. Uh, tell me a story about one of these uh, 44 Yemenis that uh, were killed. Uh, can you tell me something about them? Yeah, uh, I, actually, I, I, I would like to mention two stories of two journalists, uh, Abdullah Al-Qabil and Yusuf Al-Azari, uh, who were arrested by the Houthi group in the Mar governorate and put them in a weapons store. One of, uh, one of the Saudi lead coalition's targets. The group used them as a human shells. I think they have lived a very difficult and scary days while they are waiting for death, death uh, at any time. Wow. That's, uh, so they were using them as uh, human shields, you were saying? Yes. Yes. And then they were killed by airstrikes? Yes, airstrikes, yes. Uh, is there, you know, I can imagine as you're publishing stories, are there any stories that, you know, that you didn't decide, you decided not to publish because of risk? Yeah, uh, I, I, yes, many times. I remember during the February revelations, I decided many times to not publish a lot of stories, even in my page in Facebook, uh, especially those which uh, were talking about the violations by the former regime against demonstrators in the square. The same thing these days, it's very difficult to publish everything, or perhaps the risk now becoming greater. Many journalists have been attacked and kidnapped by the Houthi authority based on their press activity. But how, can, how do you think that the international community can help to empower and protect reporters in Yemen um, and just ensure that the objective reporting continues to come out of Yemen? Do you have any ideas about that? Yeah, that, uh, I, I think uh, the international community was playing a, playing a very important role in supporting and developing the Yemeni journalists when the opportunity was available to be inside the country. Many international organizations concerned with the press worked on implementing many qualifying and training projects for journalists to ensure, to ensure obje objectivity uh, and issues many annual reports monitoring violence against journalists. I think now the situation has become more, become more difficult to implement the same previous project and these organizations have only issued reports. If we talked about, for example, the International Federation of Journalists, it has implemented many training programs in, in several governorates uh, to support the different press skills aiming to ensure, uh, to ensure the objective reports 
in cooperation with the Yemeni Journalist Syndicate and financed a lot of solidarity campaigns with journalists and a lot of publications and annual reports. Mm. But I think that the only way to support the Yemeni media in the current time is the networking with interested in international foundations. Right. But let's move now into COVID-19 in Yemen. It's a, it's a very important topic. And as you know, the reporting that comes out isn't always complete. We get some reporting from the Supreme National Emergency Committee. But as you know, it doesn't cover all the areas, especially the areas co- uh, covered and controlled by the Houthis. Uh, what, what can you say in common about this? Yep. In fact, the Houthi Authority has said from the beginning that they have their own way of dealing with the pandemic, which based on uh, not uh, intimidations and uh, create a worry for people. But I think there are several other reasons, including uh, including political reasons. The first one is a military reasons, reason. I mean, not to affect on the moral of combat of their fighters. The second one is ideological, is related to being able to face risk based on the care of God. I think the other, the other, the third reason is economic, is it's not possible to impose a comprehensive closure with an economy based, uh, based on surface, especially in the seasons of collecting zakat and tax uh, resource. Let me pause yeah. you there for a second. You were saying that the first reason is because it would affect those fighting the war. And then the second reason you're saying is that they have this belief that it's almost like in God's hands. That is, yes. that, that as they would say, it's, uh, it's kind of if they get sick, well, then it's, it, then it's because God willed it. And if, they get, if they're healthy, it's because God willed it. It's kind of their, it's kind of their mentality. And then the third one is just the economic uh, economic issue that if they closed and had a lockdown, it would affect the economy in a, in a great way in Yemen. So those are the three ones that you've mentioned so far. Is there another reason? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, is, uh, following the Iranian ideological example, which says that the pandemic made in America. Okay. Right. Uh, and the fifth one, you can't give what you don't have because the authorities in Sana'a have nothing to do with a health system that basically already destroyed. Right. So, so one of the areas is, you know, the fourth reason would be conspiracy theory that, you know, America or some other power are the ones that put this together. And then the fifth reason is basically they just have a realization that they can't respond anyways because the health system is already destroyed. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, well, that, that does help to bring some light into some of these issues. You know, the WHO claims to have rapid response teams cooperating with each government. From your sources and your research, what do you feel is the capacity of both governments and INGOs in Yemen whether it's in the north, in the south, what, what do you feel is the capacity to test and to do those type of things? Uh, actually, both of, both of them don't have the proper uh, capacity to face the pandemic as required. For example, the Houthi uh, Authority announced that they need to uh, 10,000 IC, ICU beds and 10,000 ventilators 
but the international uh, NGOs provided just 520 beds and 145 ventilators. Even the test equipments are not enough, and there are no enough response team to visit homes for the purpose of testing. Most of the discovered cases are the ones who went to the hospitals when they got sick. Mm. Uh, the authorities here say that they need 10 million test equipments, while the world, the WHO has provided a few thousands. Mm. So there is a gap in what the there is a gap in the information and in the reality of what's happening on the ground. I mean that's clear. What what do you feel is the what do you feel is the most important story that isn't being reported in Yemen at this point or that's not getting attention in your in your view? Yeah. I think uh the problem of salaries. More than 1 million people don't have a salary. The the thing that creates many, many problems uh many problems uh in the community, uh, you can imagine that uh, that the people don't have a salary. Right, so they're not able even to purchase the things that they need, even if they uh, yes. w- without any money. But you're you're in you're in you're in the country right now, and you yes. are hearing all these stories. And I imagine all the reports that you get and the killings and everything that's happening. But let me ask you, like, what is it that encourages you? Um, are there stories of Yemenis, kind of Yemeni heroes that you can share or anything that you can share with me that gives you hope or encourages you while you're in the midst of this horrible situation? Yeah, it's, it's a really horrible situation and there is no hope in these days. You can imagine that you live uh, among the disease and uh, uh, war, uh, but you can say that all the Yemeni people are heroes. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. They're, they're definitely Yemenis are very resilient, um, as they would say in Arabic, "mukawimin." You know, they're resilient yes. people. Uh, yes. No matter what you throw at Yemenis, they always come back. Uh, that's always been the case from the history. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you 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 coming on today and 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 speaking to us, uh, Suraya. Um, let me Thank ask you, you be- be- before I let you go. Um, I, we, we're seeing images sometimes of the markets being full and people breaking fast together. And now during Eid, I can imagine people are filling up the markets. This idea of social distancing, it's not being done in Yemen. What do you think? Is that truly the case? Are the images correct that that's what's happening? And then if, if that is the case, what do you think can be done to help people to to take precautions. Uh, actually, this is the this is the problem from the beginning because uh, the people needs to the information about the co- the COVID nineteen information to be careful about the society distancing. But uh, because they uh, uh, they uh, they don't have the 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 correct or the right information about the cases discovered in Sanaa or uh, everywhere, so. Uh, they think that the the this uh, this disease uh, this virus it's not fact, so they are living uh, their life uh, as it before. There is also an issue with there being a stigma related to COVID nineteen, and some people are afraid to admit that they have a case of COVID nineteen in their family. 
Are you seeing this as the case as well in Yemen? Yeah, uh, it's it, it it happened. It happened before. Uh, um, many, most of the families in Yemen uh, uh, think that it's a shame to uh, uh, to uh, to um, uh, to abused on this uh, pandemic. Uh, uh, they they they. Uh, uh, it's happening in my family. My cousin, my co- uh, not my uncle. My uncle did uh, with Corona, but when we published this case. Uh, uh, his uh, his um, his sons and daughters um, attacked me. Uh, that's it's a shame to say that my father um, did with Corona. So uh, yeah, yeah, because of this abuse for uh, for the family. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. What can I talk? Um, so so I understand that your uncle was diagnosed with COVID nineteen. Yes. And but the family didn't want to admit that because they felt it would be a kind of a dishonor or shameful to the family is what yes. I understood. Go ahead. Yeah, but because they they say but because uh, they say uh, they are saying that uh, his son or daughter can't can't get married in the future. Right. And so I think that's the issue. It's important for us to get the word out there in in to Yemenis and the fact that COVID-19, anybody can get affected by that. It can touch anybody's life. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't have an effect. It doesn't mean that that the family is going to, is going to, you know, have a problem having children or in the future or be an obstacle being married in the future. It has nothing to do with those things. I think that's something key that Yemenis need to hear so that they can admit when there is a COVID-19 case in the home. Yes, they they need to to uh, to hear more awareness about that. Right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the call with us, Roya. Uh, it's been really a pleasure to really get some news from on the ground. Uh, thank you for having us, and and I hope that we can talk some other time as well. Thank you very much for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, Suraya shared with us about the difficulty of maintaining objectivity as a journalist when you're part of the political process. We can see she has been able to achieve this at least to some degree in telling the truth about all sides, as she mentioned that she has made enemies on all sides. Hopefully we will see increasing support for journalists like Soraya who are willing to call all sides to account for their actions to build a healthy nation. We also heard how Soraya has even in a sense made enemies and been attacked within her own family by telling the truth about her uncle's COVID-19 infection. And this highlighted for us the importance of making sure that accurate information is reaching the Yemeni people to remove the shame and stigma that is keeping people from taking steps that could save lives by slowing the spread of COVID-19. She shed light for us on five reasons why she believes that Hothi authorities are not being transparent about the real number of COVID-19 cases in the regions it controls. And unfortunately, as she also described, this misinformation or lack of information is causing many Yemenis not to take the virus seriously so they aren't following the precautions of social distancing that could save lives. Let me encourage all those who have a Yemeni audience, whether it's a small personal social network or a large following on social media, let's make a real push to ensure that Yemenis are receiving and sharing accurate and reliable information about COVID-19 so that they can understand the importance of following the recommended guidelines to protect themselves and their loved ones. As Suraya shared, one great thing about being a journalist in Yemen is that they have an opportunity to make a change in the community. 
And this is certainly an opportunity for us to provide information that can save lives. Thank you for listening in today. I'm Alex Williams, and this is Yemen News.